This is the Roaring Alphabet Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about something that has rocked the world of Linux and open source to the very core, wouldn't you agree? I would. And it's very topical because it happened like three months ago at least. <laughs> well, there was a development <laughs> last week, so that's why we picked it up. And Okay. Again, uh, in the show, we try to be not not try to be too topical or too agitative or whatever you call that. So I think it's good to let things happen, get with the flow, and then give our view on it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big shift. Had a lot of people fairly upset. Um, and what we're talking about uh, on today's episode is the sort of the. Red Hat's decision to discontinue um, CentOS in its its um, previously known and well-known form and well-used form, and instead refocus uh, people onto the CentOS streams side of things, and you know what that means to people that have CentOS servers out there, and uh, what else they can do. I mean, it's uh, it's a change, and change is always something that scares people, whether they're right or not. We will discuss in this episode, I guess. <laughs> uh, but before we go into the change themselves, oh, before we talk about the change, uh, we put together a bit of a timeline. Dave's actually been doing research for the last couple of hours while I was patiently waiting, and people were bringing in coffee. Um, thank you to the coffee and bringer. This is this is probably the most research we've done for an episode in well, <laughs> probably forever. <laughs> Uh, but it's kind of it's it's interesting because a lot of the uh, people always react. Um, one thing we didn't put in the timeline, for example, was the, the IBM acquisition of Red Hat. But people react very violently when something like this changes in their lives, and you know it, it's it's understandable in some cases. That's you know people get very upset when. Um, something changes out of their control that's going to yeah. impact them in a way that they see as as being negative. But the, the the timeline for this is actually pretty interesting. So looking all the way back to uh, March 31st, 2016, was that was the time when Red Hat actually um, launched their, the, the kind of, at that time, latest iteration of their developer program. And this was the announcement that anyone, um, you know, developing software could download and use a free version of RHEL um, with updates and everything kind of bundled in. And just, you know, you'd get your connection to you know, what back in the day was probably still called Red Hat Network. I know that's kind of that nomenclature has kind of dissolved away uh, at at this point, but it was probably still called that then, and you would still receive all your updates from that. And it it sort of uh, yeah, this is you know many years before anything around uh, around sort of CentOS was even even posited. Although you know, full disclosure, I did work at Red Hat for a number of years, and I I remember many a heated discussion. Um, with various, you know, sales leaders and marketing leaders and other folks, at, you know, during my tenure there, around, you know, how can we, you know, the people that are very much pro open source, like, be advocating for CentOS and say, well, no, they, they, these are many of these folks are organisations that would never pay us the subscription, but they're still getting, you know, software into our ecosystem. They're getting awareness of a Red Hat compatible or RHEL compatible distribution. And you'd have people on the other side of the fence saying, oh, they're, they, they're stealing our money. They're stealing money out of our pockets and all, all those kind of other sort of conversations. So even you know, many years ago when, when I was at Red Hat, those conversations were, were rife. I'm sure they continued on long after I left. Um, mm. but the the sort of the the timeline starts or our timeline kind of starts with that initial step which yeah. i think i can't find any details about it right now but i think it was 
I think it was, it's either one in one sort of instance or four instances, something of that kind of order of magnitude back then. Yeah, it was limited and also intended for dev test use, not for production use. That was the idea oh, yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah. Uh, I just think while you were talking about developer.redhat.com, not yeah, production.redhat.com. <laughs> Make money. Uh, uh, the one thing actually maybe missed to add to the timeline was the time where Red Hat and CentOS actually merged together because CentOS was long time mm. a separate project done by uh, enthusiasts. Fine. And then at a certain point, whatever the reasons are, it was in 2014. I just looked it up. The the mm. two kind of went together um, because before that time, of course, this would not have been an issue at all because there were two different entities. But anyway, yeah. so the developer program with free subscription made available. Would you say that was in response, building up to something already or just something they thought was a good idea at the time? Is this, was this foreshadowing anything? I, I think, think so. it's very difficult to say. Um, yeah, but it's five years ago. I, Even may, the may, doesn't plan five years in advance. <laughs> well, maybe a little bit of all of the above. Like, I think you can definitely, you can definitely imagine that. Well, if you want to offer an alternative to CentOS, you've got to start somewhere. Maybe that somewhere is well. Let's just let's have a developer instance out there. Let's you know, put some careful constraints around it and very look very carefully at how people are using it and let's see how people if if and how people abuse it. Like I can I can definitely tell you that there was a uh, a team dedicated at Red Hat to kind of watching and managing this and going through an enforcement kind of process if abuse was was detected. So it, yeah, it probably was, um, you know, probably not the, it's not like this was part of some kind of grand um, sort of, yeah, five-year plan. But, like, that would be, that's very, very unlikely. <laughs> but I think you can definitely see this as being a kind of initial step in that direction. A precursor. Okay. Then the next step, uh, if you're happy to move on, that happened yeah. in 2019, end of the year, September 24th. There was a blog post on the Red Hat site that actually announced the thing called CentOS Streams. Uh, there were some things in that blog post, we'll have links in the show notes, that have changed since then, that uh, have mm. been modified, changed a little bit. But the idea of the, the concept was the, the, uh, delivered at that time. And to be honest, it totally passed me by. I never knew that thing happened until... Yeah, end of last year, let's say. So I'm not sure if this was something that people thought was going to be, oh, whatever, it's not going to happen anyway, or it doesn't affect mm. me too much. But considering the amount of backlash uh, that's happened uh, more recently, it's amazing that that announcement just went through and didn't cause a ripple at all. I think it's exactly what you exactly what you said. It's the the fact is that most people were just like, eh, doesn't affect me. I'm I'm gonna stick stick with what I'm using. I think nobody even considered. I also I I honest I vaguely remember it popping up, but I mm -hmm. I remember spending fractions of a second even <laughs> considering reading or thinking about it. It's like it just yeah, it's not not something that uh, that even kind of uh, affected me and I, I consider myself as someone that you know spends a a reasonable chunk of time keeping up to date on what's happening in the the world of open source and Linux not because I'm as as heavily involved in it anymore but I just find it interesting it's just one of those kind of weird guilty pleasures <laughs> ah there's worse perversions in the world let's say <clears throat> indeed Anyway, things came to a head uh, end of last year, December 8th, when the, a blog appeared both on the Red Hat site and the CentOS site, where they mm. actually gave full details on the CentOS stream idea and that that was going to be the main way of getting CentOS. Now, maybe it's a good point here to explain a little bit what CentOS streams actually means and how it differs from the original CentOS uh, distribution. Mm -hmm. You're going to let me do that. Let me do all the work. I am, yeah. Yep. 
Well, the biggest difference is that, and I'm talking from my own experience, my own viewpoint, of course, people have different viewpoints, which is totally fine. But for me, the biggest difference is a shift from long-term stable, where CentOS was something that was distilled from the Red Hat de uh, development, Red Hat release, and therefore followed Red Hat and had the same kind of testing, stability, and update part as the original Red Hat, because basically it was Red Hat, just with the logos removed. Now they've moved this CentOS release in front of Red Hat. So we have, there's also Fedora. Fedora mm -hmm. Linux has been around for a long time. And if you're using a desktop instead of a server, then Fedora is definitely a better choice, I think. <laughs> this is CentOS yep. and Red Hat are definitely for server-oriented uh, use. But Fedora is bleeding edge, trying new stuff, breaking things all the time, and so on. So if you have it on your laptop, I had it for a while. It's a roller coaster ride. If you enjoy that kind of stuff, hey, more power to you. So, so I would I would technically say that uh, there is still something out there called Rawhide. That is your that is your uh, ultra bleeding edge. That's like packages even, yeah. just get built and thrown out into the wind, and that's like a nightly built kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, technically, Fedora has a a modicum uh, more testing than that they call it uh, stable but, but because it's changing quickly yeah, there's less testing is, and obviously it's going to be more fragile yeah it is it is rapid evolution i personally have been running fedora on and off for many many years as as my linux desktop i did uh, i did dalliance with ubuntu when i was at canonical for a period of years um but i've i've come back now to fedora i started with very early fedora fedora core uh, as it was initially called and they dropped the core labeling and uh, it's been fedora ever since and i you know i find it to be a great um a great kind of linux desktop experience it definitely has had its its moments uh, in terms of instability but Generally speaking, um, I find it pretty stable, pretty reliable um, for a desktop experience. It's it's the whole predictability thing. I mean, when I connect to SSA through my VPN to my server somewhere in the data center and I do RPM or YUM update or something like that, I would never do that on a Fedora system. On a CentOS system, I'm pretty certain that the chance things can always go wrong shit mm -hmm. happens but the chances something goes wrong are pretty small and that's yeah. why centos are such a i'm gonna say we're running centos at the moment on the server that serves the mp3s and everything so we're really using it and i really like it a lot but by moving centos in front of red hat now red hat still you have rawhide then you have red hat the first production stable desktop use then you get centos and then it moves into uh the red hat uh stuff so they're using centos streams now as a bit of a testing ground before it actually ends up in Red Hat itself, which by definition makes CentOS less stable or maybe more fragile. There's more risks of doing something wrong there. And the update cadence will also go up where CentOS and Red Hat really didn't update at all. They just moved in some security fixes from time to time, but for, the, for five or 10 years, it was pretty much the same software, which is a, not only a good thing, we'll talk about that later, CentOS should now also get a little bit more flexible updates, but they'll still be, and there's been, I've been reading some articles here, but they'll still have more stability, a lot more stability than the Fedora version will have. It will never be the bleeding edge thing. It's really, as I read it, the last step before locking down Red Hat. And when Red Hat thinks we should be changing some things, let's try it and set CentOS first after it has gone to the full rawhide Fedora thing. So I still see that's more or less stable. Problem I've got is we'll talk about that later. Is what's the future going to be like? Yeah, I think there's there's so there's a few there's a few things. Like one is that CentOS streams. Again, this is my understanding. There's a lot of confusion out there. Hopefully, we're not adding to that confusion. <laughs> but um, yeah, we we've tried to do as much reading as we can around this to make sure that we are yeah at least attempting to provide a, a kind of. A reasonably accurate view of things but the one of the challenges that people have is that CentOS streams CentOS stream is indeed <laughs> the the kind of um, what tracks up to the point of a Red Hat release or a RHEL release but it's also it like it's a stream it continues to then track onwards with updates that will happen which are the preparation for the next 
rel, point release, you know, major release, minor releases, and so on and so forth. Like that's the whole point of of a streaming <laughs> release. Um, I would like to point out that this does potentially, though, at least have one, you know, one maybe positive to it, which is um, that in the in the kind of the the world of Linux, I would say. I was going to say mostly on the desktop space, but I don't know that's necessarily true anymore. But certainly on the desktop space, and I think now in the uh, the server space and the cloud server space, somewhat less so. But there's a lot more interest in um, rolling distros now. So things like Arch, for example, um, are seen as being um, a good thing because it means that you don't have that giant um upgrade from you know major version x to major version y you're just continually applying new updates mm. now the, the the flip side to that is things like arch are notoriously well known for being fragile and and broken on a regular basis and oh yeah don't don't install that version of that package or <laughs> oh wait you know, downgrade that version of that thing until this release, this version of this thing comes out and then you can upgrade everything. And I think the the two things that I, I always come away from when talking to to people about Arch, and it, it's a bit of a callback to our, our episode um, uh, last time on the, uh, on, on easy button for Kubernetes, which is Arch users and the Arch wiki itself like is an amazing source of Linux information. Like it's one of the best ways to, you know, debug or understand what's going on under the hood because it has to be. Uh, <laughs> so people that, you know, use that kind of rolling distro tend to have a far better understanding of what's going under the hood of their systems. Now, the the flip side to that is, like, do you really want to? Do you really want to know what's going on? Or do you just want this thing to just run without any real dupe care and attention apart from an update yep. every every month or every couple of weeks or every quarter or whatever you know, whatever cycle is appropriate for you and this is where like the the idea of centos stream is it, it sort of starts to starts to kind of crumble a little bit and look look a bit less attractive now I would say that CentOS Streams has been out exactly as Jan was saying earlier since, um, you know, September 2019. So like it's been out there for a while. So this is not, this is also not something new, but exactly as Jan was saying before we started recording, a lot of this is just fear of the unknown. People just have no idea what to expect and are very, you know, people are generally um, you know, resistant to change, resistant yep. and, and fear change. And so I, I don't know. I've never run a system for an extended period of time on CentOS Stream. Like I, I would be very interested to understand, for example, things like uh, download or adoption numbers of CentOS Stream versus CentOS. I, I, maybe those numbers exist out there. I had a quick sure. look and I couldn't find anything, but no, not public. Um, yeah, it's sort of uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of great unknowns here. No, I think as long as CentOS the distribution still exists, CentOS streams will only be adopted by people that are looking at it, testing it, being curious mm. about it. Um, the biggest problem here is that CentOS is a known value; it's been around for decades. I know when I do CentOS what's going to happen. CentOS Stream is new and regardless of what's in the blog posts and press releases <laughs> and whatever, I want to yeah. see from a, I'm not, not putting my uh, infrastructure management hat on, I want to see CentOS Streams up and running for 10 years before I start adopting it. <laughs> yeah. And of course the world well, doesn't work that way anymore. I've got good news and bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> It's a nice hat, but forget it. Okay. Well, no. So I think the 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 good news is that um, I think 
we fast forward on to the next kind of point, which is um, January 20th, uh, 2021, which is when, um, you know, Red Hat, I think it's it's pretty clear that like, what most people would agree on both sides of the fence is that um, it, this was all pretty badly handled in terms of communication, in terms of communication to the to the communities involved, yeah. to like anybody and everybody that cares about this, pretty much all agrees that this was badly communicated, badly handled. And I, I don't think that there is any, like there's, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's no way that you can, you can say that uh, this was not going to be a hot potato, uh, kind of a nuclear exactly. option here. So you would think that the absolute most effort would have been into like this to me is uh, is almost as impactful, and this is probably over dramatic. This to me is almost as impactful as the IBM acquisition, yeah. and I, we should be absolutely clear here: is like the IBM acquisition really had nothing to do with this. As I said earlier, this is a conversation that's been going on within Red Hat for years. And I know I, I myself had joked to uh, uh, to folks that I still know at Red Hat and, and said, oh, so I see IBM's finally caught up with you. But <laughs> it's it's uh, it's not it's not fair and it's not kind of representative of what's actually happened there. This is a, a business decision that's been brewing for a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, I'd say you're right that the decision wasn't affected by IBM, but I think the communication, the way it was communicated was, because this maybe. felt a lot like, this is our view of the world, and we kind of assume everybody thinks like this, and we think it's a good idea, so it's a good idea, let's put it out like that. And that but does... you, But you can't have these things both ways, right? So one of the things that, if you talk to anybody from... Uh, from Red Hat, um, you know, and if you look at any of the um, any of the blog posts or you know any of the information from like Jim Whitehurst or anything like that, one of the things that you will continuously say is that you know yes we're part of the IBM umbrella, but we are our own entity within IBM. We do our own things. Like we are not, um, okay. and. So you can, but that's a double-edged sword. That means that you can't just use the, oh, well, that was an IBM way of doing it, like get out of jail free card. Because if you truly are this independent thing that you say you are, then like, well, you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it. Like it's got to be one of those things or the other, which is, you know, it's sort of, I think I've heard that get out of jail count like free get out of jail free card played before and i'm like no sorry that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me just for the record i never said that anybody said this publicly mm. I mean, this is my I, feeling I have, that the yeah. culture of ibm kind of seeped into this and while you're right that the technology companies are separate i do think that on the marketing level on this kind of spokesperson level I think that's the point where the two will meet the most because still, even though Red Hat is a separate entity and I trust and believe, I have no reason to believe otherwise, whatever Red Hat says reflects on IBM mm. and vice versa as well, I assume. Mm -hmm. So I would assume yep. that there is at least some you kind of... You see that in the share price. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't look at share prices. I mean, but I can see that there would have been more of an interconnect if at any place at all but anyway it's pure conjecture so let's not go too deep on that one the do you would you say that the decision for red hat to announce on the 20th of january that they're extending their uh developer licenses or the, the easy way to access linux and the fact that on the 25th they announced that uh oss use of uh red hat linux becomes pretty much free of charge, still in a dev test, but even in production environment, is a way of admitting defeat, of uh, saying we're wrong, or was this already in the cards at the beginning, or how do you think that's played out? So, yeah, so like the, the, two, the two updates, so January 20th 
was the the announcement that they were going to increase the the program that has you know as a reminder has existed since March thirty first, twenty sixteen, of free developers um, developer subscriptions. Like they have expanded that program from as I say, whatever it was, one or three. What sorry, one or four instances. There seems to be no. All the blog posts have been carefully edited <laughs> um, to sixteen um, instances under a developer subscription. So you can spin up sixteen instances of RHEL and get access to all of the updates for those as long as you're using it, as you say, in a developer context. So that's kind of uh, or as as an individual like non-profit user. So that was the update on January twentieth, and then February twenty fifth was extending RHEL out to open source um, projects for them to use RHEL as you say like it, it sounds like practically unlimited I'm sure there are limits but you can use it on your web servers on your CI/CD platform on your you know, download and caching servers in the in the cloud you know whatever it is as long as you're providing infrastructure for an open source project you can use quote unquote as much rail as you need sort of thing now you do have to talk to red hat to obviously do that you have to you know submit your case make your case to a uh, an email address and presumably someone will then talk to you and understand your um your needs and requirements and vet that that is reasonable or sensible or whatever and make sure that you're not kind of running some side scam but uh you know that is that, that was the next thing that got sort of extended. I don't think that this was on the cards. I think this is one of those things that if you'd really thought about it, you've, you would have announced all of these things together. Like yeah. understand that we're taking away with this hand, but you know we're, we're providing you with this hand. And that was clearly not what happened here at all. What happened here was just like, Oh no, we're just taking this thing away. Good luck. And then, oh, <laughs> oh, that blew up even worse than I was expecting. Oh dear. Um, you know, let's find ways to kind of plug holes in in this uh, in this giant leaky boat and uh, try and kind of fix things from a, a community perspective. And I think they've, I mean, sixteen instances for any individual is a pretty. I would say it's a reasonable yeah. amount. Yeah. I think it's actually very, very generous because, again, this is for developer accounts or for dev tests. I don't know any kind of development cycle where a single individual programmer needs 16 different uh, VM servers, whatever, to test their stuff on. Perhaps they're doing something with uh, microservice architecture, it might make sense, but even then, if it had like four or eight, it would be uh, more than enough because. I don't, I wouldn't say, and let's put this back into double focus, <laughs> I wouldn't say that the developer licenses actually solve the problem of, um, maybe a little charged, CentOS going away. Because CentOS was available for whatever you wanted to do with it. You could uh, run the production, you can fork it again, you can change it, do whatever you want with it. It's not li limited to a dev test environment. While this dev test environment uh, developer program subscription that Red Hat has, while generous as it is, does still limit you from doing production stuff unless you're one of those lucky OSS projects, of course. Yep. I mean, so it is just to be to be clear it is called the red hat developer sub, developer subscription for individuals um but we are not going to <laughs> to go into the uh the details of the 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 eula and contract and agreement and all that sort of stuff that you have to sign so if you are thinking about using this for personal use um i would i definitely recommend going and checking it out but you know you're going to need to read this, the fine print to make sure you're not in breach of some uh, some clause uh, in the agreement there somewhere. So with the timeline out of the way, if you agree to that, uh, mm -hmm. next bullet point, I just added it to the outline, sorry for that. But why do we think Red Hat slash IBM is doing this? What is their motivation behind it? Well, okay, if, you, if you listen to the like the the communications at the time it was 
it's basically it's a numbers game like they're pouring a lot of resources into centos they're not getting any revenue from centos they're getting a lot of goodwill in the community but yeah. like how many people ever reached into their pockets and you know chipped in a donation for, for centos like practically 0. 0.0000 um and those developers those resources can be used elsewhere in the organization to generate very significant revenue to work on projects that will accelerate red hat onto its next many many billions um yeah that that's that's why any large corporate organization makes hopefully makes changes like this it's it's to it's to improve their bottom line in some way shape or form and i they they didn't really one of the things i would say is they didn't hide that they didn't sugarcoat it and say that they're um, like trying to do it for the benefit of open source or anything like that like that that's that's not that's not how things were communicated thankfully otherwise i think the entire world would have just exploded um but yeah i think that's that's my take on it it's, it's exactly what it says on the tin yeah i was going to say something but you were talking very sensibly there which surprises me <laughs> totally it kind of took me aback there I mean, one of the articles I read uh, stated uh, Red Hat was making a profit when they were doing CentOS as well, so they could just take up the, the, the cost of it and sulk it up as cost of business and have it there. And the author's intent, I think, was to say that now that IBM is there and IBM is doing badly, they need to get all the money they can get at the moment, so things like CentOS need to drop away. Which is, of course, a perfectly, if that's the case, again, we don't know, would be a perfectly sound business uh, decision, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I believe that. I don't yeah. think. That's what I said. Somebody else said it. It's hearsay. Yeah. Um, now, one thing you said, sorry, I'm going to go on. One thing you said is um, they can now uh, dedicate those resources to more profitable things. Yes, obviously, if I'm not working on CentOS, I can start working on Red Hat and maybe do something like that. But of course, it doesn't mean that everybody who's downloading CentOS today is now from tomorrow on going to go and pay for Red Hat licenses. So the resources are now going to be moving from CentOS to Red Hat. There may be some redundancies in there now, because even if a bigger percentage of the Linux users move to Red Hat license, that's going to be a delayed effect. So it's actually going to be bad for business in the short term, wouldn't it? I doubt it. Like, I... I don't think that they're really banking on a, a huge swathe of individuals going out and purchasing REL. Like, I don't, I don't think that even factored into the planning. My... No, I really don't. Like, my... my guess and it is just a educated guess is that this was more about kind of freeing up folks to work on other projects not just rel but other stuff within the red hat ecosystem yeah, it's bigger than just linux of course obviously but that being said i do think it's going to have a knock-on effect somewhere because the rel subscription and the support and security you get from this is valued people pay a lot of money for it but it's a good thing to have and i do know organizations companies that have uh, a thousand servers and only two of those servers ever break because those 998 servers run CentOS and those two ones those run RHEL and whatever happens always on one of those two I mean those kind of situations I do expect to get rationalized rightfully so I'd say to actually have RHEL deployed everywhere and not have the benefits without having the cost attached to it so I, yeah, I, I mean, kind of hope that that kind of abuse stops because that was bad. Yeah, I mean, any time that you do that kind of insanity, like that's what you get. Like if you've got a bunch of special, you know, a bunch of special snowflakes out there, like they're going to be more trouble for you. No, but, no, no, no. There weren't but, snowflakes. All the servers crashed because the CentOS was the same OS. They just logged all the tickets on one of those two Red Hat servers so they could get the support for it. Yeah, but that's, yeah. So <laughs> that, you're right. That's that should. Yeah, that that is abuse, and that is uh, 
that is definitely something that needs to needs to go away. And I've seen the, in the last couple of decades, I've seen it happen more than I wish I had. Mm. But anyway, moving on to the next bullet point, which is the, the the big one here. How dare they do this to this to us? I want my free <laughs> Linux, me. Well, tough. Like, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I mean, good it, answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is it. Like. How much did you pay for that that free Linux of yours? Nothing. Oh, okay. And how well, much benefit have you had from it over all the years? Yeah, for 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 a decade, you say you paid nothing. Well, you just got the best deal for that ten years. Congratulations, yeah. that deal is over now. Move along. <laughs> um, exactly. Like it's it's their it's their product. It's their service. Like. Uh, you can rage against it and you can be upset and that's fine. You're totally entitled to, to feel that way. But unfortunately, that's just the way things are. And that's, that's the way that, that's the way that has evolved. You know, if, if you were upset about, you know, if someone is upset about this kind of thing, then, you know, maybe they should, they may, maybe they should be looking at a different, uh, Linux distribution that you know, is, is less likely to fall foul of these kind of things. So when, as soon as, and again, it's like, it's difficult to say that this was always inevitable, but you know, when Red Hat acquired the entire CentOS team and trademark and all that other kind of stuff, was it inevitable? Maybe not inevitable, but. But definitely a possibility. <sighs> Yeah, it becomes a possibility. And if you don't, you know, if you don't, you know, you can never predict what the future is going to be, but like when something like that happens, there's always a possibility down the line that things will change and evolve. Yeah. And they did. And, you know, for those people that, that are raging against it, I'm sorry you feel that way. There are many other options out there. I'd suggest you put your your time and effort and energy into kind of researching that and finding what else is the next best fit for you. And of course, uh, Red Hat didn't change anything on the open source license of the software. So if anybody's really inclined to make CentOS 2.0. Yeah, I mean... The, That's, the, they, uh, they use a different name because the name is trademarked now, but... <laughs> yeah, but like, you know... Um, it's a lot of effort. There are a variety of organizations that have had various different distributions based on RHEL slash CentOS over the years. You know, there was Scientific Linux back in the day. There was, I think there were, there were two or three CentOS slash RHEL clones, most of which have faded away over time. I think there are, a, there may be one still out there. I, I don't remember I now. but. Anymore. Scientific yeah. Linux was one that I, when I worked at Sursar, we used that a lot there because it had some nice libraries for high-performance computing. Yeah. But yeah, it's like six years since I've ever looked at that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it died. It died a while ago. And that that's the thing. Like, there's a... Anyone can go and stand up their own Linux distro. It's just really, really hard and a lot of work. And, you know, like you're doing it for free for a bunch of people that are not going to pay you any money. Um, and it, it sort of, you know, that that's, if you're looking at this from a, a purely commercial perspective, it's hardly surprising that a lot of these kind of Linux distros, you know, pop into, into existence and then, you know, a year or two later kind of fade away into obscurity because there's a yeah. lot of work to do this. And that's if you're just going, going for something that's just a, you know, a, a, a distro that's built for your particular purpose rather than something a monster like CentOS, which is very much like the, the free enterprise distro. I mean, that's a huge ask to put on on someone to kind of create something of that magnitude and i am like hats off to the centos team over the years pre-acquisition more so than post-acquisition mm -hmm. but like the work that they did was just was truly truly amazing for a you know a, a non-for-profit organization it, you know truly mm -hmm. spectacular the, the fact that they managed to create this thing that they managed to get that much value. I mean, it's also the reason why there's such an outcry now, right? Because this is a very valuable thing that they did. 
and that's now threatened to disappear or change and morph into a different form. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically it. Yep. So how do you think it's going to affect businesses around the world, businesses that are using, either are or not using uh, CentOS or Red Hat? I don't really think it's going to affect them that much. I think they will just probably move to a different distro, a different, well, yeah, a different distribution of some kind. Mm. You know, there are, there are multiple different options out there. The most common ones being kind of, yeah, um, Debian, Ubuntu, um, you mentioned Arch earlier. I'm not quite sure I'd recommend that, but, uh, Gen 2, come on. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, like, but yeah, sure, if you just if you just love compiling, then Gen 2. Um, like I there's, love there's, you know, Slack, Slackware, like there's, there's, there's lots of options that you, you go, go, go to BSD, mm -hmm. like go away from Linux entirely. Um, go free BSD. But it, it's sort of, I, I think, a lot of businesses will just go, okay, well, we're going to go and do another thing. One of, so something we haven't got in our timeline though, but, or in our notes, but I do wonder about is, are we at the point where this really matters anymore? And the reason I ask that is because we're moving, I, yes, there are still a lot of servers out there and yes, a, microservices architecture, you know, needs to run on something <laughs> unless you're going truly serverless with the, uh, the Kubernetes easy button on GCP. But, <laughs> um, a lot of stuff is now container based. And if you look at what a lot of organizations build their containers on, like I think Arch is by far the most popular, um, container based i want to I, I can't help but say os even though i know it's no it's not technically an os but it, it's the most popularly used container distribution even though that's not right but you know what i mean but yeah. and that's because you can cut it down to such a bare minimum so if that's the case are we are we at a point where the idea of role, you know, a, a Linux server with this this distribution on it, like, does it does it even does it even really matter anymore? Or are we at this this kind of tipping point where maybe it matters today, but it won't matter tomorrow? Like, what do you I think? I don't think we're on the tipping point yet. Uh, is this something we're going to go forward towards potentially? But mm -hmm. if I look at my own environment here, I've got a, a, a Debian server, I think Proxmox is based on Debian, that's running a, a number of containers. And mm -hmm. some of those are Debian, some of those are CentOS, because the tools I'm running in there, things like my mail service, my, my DNS, uh, yep. but also my camera system for the front door, those pieces of software kind of have their preferred distribution. And yeah. that's never hard is because those distributions are bigger than that microservices thing. So for yeah. bigger businesses, the microservice architecture has pretty much landed and will now become to adoption and rule the world. But for more private use, which is the place where CentOS was used predominantly, I'd say, yeah. there we, I don't have a Kubernetes. Yeah, I have a Kubernetes cluster running here because I want to play around with it. I don't use that in production because it's too much of a hassle to maintain, to be honest, because yeah. I don't do enough with it that it's dangerous for me. So I don't see that yet. There's also, of course, the host, the containers, the Kubernetes, the whatever you're using are running on a Linux host that has to have some kind of Linux, which could be CentOS, RHEL, Debian, whatever. So are you but suggesting... It could on, also be an appliance though, couldn't exactly. it? Like, are you suggesting for the, the Cube Linux OS to come out? <laughs> oh God. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, but what I, what I am suggesting is that I think, like, I... I have used, um, I have dallied with using CentOS over the years, mostly during when I was at, when I was at Red Hat and I just wanted to, um, have, you know, my home variety of different home servers running something that I was, I wanted to be more familiar with before that 
I was mostly Debian and Ubuntu based. And since that time, I've also mostly gone back to uh, almost all Ubuntu at this point. I just, mm. I like the LTS, the long-term support cycle yep. for Ubuntu every two years, brand new release. You know, you, you know it, you can rely on it. Okay, sometimes it slips a week or a month here or there, but for the most part, it's very, very reliable. You know exactly what you're going to get. Software availability is excellent and you can get, you know, pretty much everything you need on a server basis. And that's been true up until probably about a year or two ago. And from that point, I've started to go. Um, so like the, the latest server I built a year ago, um, I went with Unraid. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was looking at Unraid or what was free NAS, now, now true NAS. You know, I was looking at which direction I wanted to go there. And I went with Unraid for reasons that I won't go into here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's become... And now I, I just I'm just running a variety of yeah I'm using that as a as a storage server but I'm running a whole host of Docker applications uh, on that um, and I I don't even think about an OS anymore I still have a number of servers that are in my uh, uh, in in more of the old school kind of um, development but my my aim ideally this year is to start phasing that out i'm gonna kind of rebuild some of them as uh, new unraid servers and you know run the applications that i want as docker containers on them and others i'm like i'm just going to decommission them and and their usage will be just become another container on on an unraid server so i i i yeah, my my usage may not map everybody's usage, and yeah, that's fine. That's what choice is about. And do I do I miss it sometimes? Like I, there are certain things that I like to be able to do with a platform, and I think troubleshooting those kind of appliances when they're not working, mm -hmm. you know, can be trickier. But most of it is just because it's a new thing to me and I need to understand how it works and how to do that thing. And once I understand it, usually it's as easy, if not easier than doing everything DIY. Yeah, the only problem I would think of is, can you really find everything you need in Docker containers these days? I mean, uh, for, for this podcast, we're using a Jitsi server to do the video conferencing stuff. I haven't even looked at this Docker container for that, but considering how much in development it is, I don't know. I'll be honest, I don't know because I don't look at Docker at the moment. I really still go for the old style install an OS, install yep. application. I know, I know. But, uh, I think I, I, I sort of I'm, I'm at that tipping point between the two right now, where I'm starting to lean more and more towards like applications that I want or services I want running here. Uh, the majority of cases they are just docker containers nowadays and i've had to i've had to build a few myself but not very many surprisingly few actually um so yeah yeah because for me as well i've got a number of servers running here and the most uh, my, my biggest worry baby is of course the the server that's running the, the wordpress site and the, the mp3s and the, everything around <laughs> the podcast that is running CentOS 7 still. I was thinking of upgrading it to CentOS 8 soonishly. But with this news, I'm going to reorient or reorient myself and see how Debian, Ubuntu, before we start recording, you kind of waxed lyrically about Ubuntu LTS. So my personal experience with Ubuntu is a long time ago when it was really just a desktop operating system, not fit for servers. But LTS, mm. you're right, that has improved a lot. So that's definitely on the on the contenders list as well. I think in general, uh, Ubuntu stands to pick up a lot of business from this. I think Ubuntu LTS. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think so. One of the more popular ones. Yeah, I think so, and I think Debian will as well. But Debian is hard to work with. <laughs> yeah, De Debian De Debian is just hard work. Full stop. All I love respect it. for their ideas, but yeah. it makes things hard. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And Sousa. So, How about Sousa? Yeah, poor Sousa. 
I'm going to look at it because I actually ran uh, OpenSUSE as a desktop OS for a while. It was actually pretty good. I really liked Zipper, their uh, mm. package manager. So I guess this for me is the, the, the final word for this. It's change is bad, change is scary, but change is good because it makes people think about what's possible. Your eye blinking things, they fall away. You see the world again for what it's worth. And apart well, from they... all the bad things, it's an exciting time as well. Yeah, I mean, they do if you let them. And I think that's that's our overriding message here is like, try, like, this is an opportunity for growth, potentially. This is opportunity for you to perhaps revisit some of those preconceived notions and yeah. actually, like, do, do, some, do some discovery, do some kind of research and work out, you know, what, what, will, what will suit you for the next decade, hopefully. No, um, still doubting the gentle here, I'm still... <laughs> I love Gentoo oh. when I started in Linux Gentoo it was amazing just to learn the whole thing yeah I, I'm, I'm Slackware that's my history but anyway yeah all good so unless there's anything else from you no I think uh, we ended on a positive note which is rare for us I must say <laughs> usually it's all doom and gloom at the end but uh, yeah I see it as an opportunity and with that Take it away. Indeed. All right. Well, in that case, that is all the time we have today. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps. Uh, we are on YouTube. You can like, you can subscribe, you can hit the notification bell and do all the YouTube things. Uh, we had an interesting bump in one of our uh, the viewings of one of our videos. So Maybe, maybe we're starting to get noticed. Um, you can also go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about the podcast, you can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, episode ideas, and anything else. But until then, my name is Slackware for Life, Dave. <laughs> And my name is, I just read an interesting article about Windows, Microsoft, Linux, something, something. Yon? Oh, God. That's a whole, <laughs> that's a whole new rabbit hole. But uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. <laughs>